Would you give the Lord praise right now, Jesus? Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the power of your spirit, Lord. There's nobody like you. Because of some of the exposure of, to COVID that's been going on, we're going to uh, keep everybody in the sanctuary today uh, because we're able to stay a little more socially distanced, and so we're not going to let the kids break out today. I'm going to be continuing the series that I started last week on values of the cross, and these are not necessarily arbitrary values. These are values that we see specifically as a church that are important for who we are and what we want to become and what God is calling us to. And I mentioned last week that I would, uh, random selection is not necessarily what I'm doing, but not going in necessarily a sequence based on what it is that's on our website. Today I'm going to be looking at healthy family and personal relationships. And the reason I, I chose that for today is that, uh, unbeknownst to some of you maybe, today is Grandparents' Day. We're not going to do a, a big celebration for that like you would for Mother's Day or Father's Day. Maybe something we do in in the future. I will tell you, though, we uh, our family, our experience at our church in St. Louis, where we were for 22 years, they did an incredible job of honoring elders, and part of what the way they did that was they celebrated Grandparents' Day, just like most churches would celebrate Mother's Day or Father's Day, and, and actually they probably did better on Grandparents' Day than they did on Father's Day. Um, at least that was my perception. Maybe I just didn't feel like I was honored enough on Father's Day. I don't know. So, but great they really did a great job, and so that's something that we are going to begin to work toward uh, in the, the coming years where we will celebrate Grandparents Day. And uh, my wife was just mentioning a couple of days ago how uh, great it was to hear people get up and tell stories and experiences that they had with their grandparents. And many of them at times were grandparents talking about their grandparents when they were little kids and how their grandparents shaped and helped mold their lives. And many of them, of course, were people of faith. And so that led to them being people of faith uh, themselves. But because of the relationship deal, and I'm not really going to preach about grandparents. I'm not going to preach about Timothy and his third generation Christianity where his mother and his grandmother passed the faith to him. But I, I do want to talk about relationships, and I'm going to read a familiar passage of Scripture today. Mark 12, 28 through 31, and I'm going to draw some truths from that. So Mark chapter 12, verse 28, New American Standard. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And I'm going to focus 
the attention mostly on verse 31. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. God bless you. So the Bible is full of stories and of course the the beginning story of the Bible, the story of creation when God is creating everything, he, he goes down the list at the end of day one. He says, uh, man, he looks at all that he's created and he says, man, this is good. He gets to the end of day two and he, and he looks at all that he has created and he says, man, this is good. He gets to the end of day three and he says, man, this is good. I've outdone myself. Now, that's just a paraphrase. He didn't really say that. He gets to the end of day four and he says, this is good and the end of day five, after he, he creates uh, all of the fish and all these things, man, this is good. And day six, he creates the animals and he creates man and he says, this is good. But then not too long, and, and we really don't know how long it is after day six that he looks at man and he says this, he said, it is not good. That it is not good that man should be alone. That, that man needs to be in relationship. Man needs to, to have somebody with him. And of course, you can read the, the, the passage of how he goes about letting Adam name all of the animals and all those things. But then he creates Eve after he puts him to sleep by withdrawing a rib from his side. And he forms that because it's not good that man should be alone. We are designed to be in relationship. And I don't think it's just about marriage relationship that we're designed to be in, but we are designed to be in community and in relationship with people, and we need one another. I heard somebody say the other day that people talk about, all I need is God, all I need is, 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 is to be in this relationship with God, and, and that's probably true in most scenarios, in most instances, but the guy pointed to this passage and he said, God even said it's not good for man to be by himself. Adam, he's got me. He doesn't need anything else, but God doesn't say that. He says it's not good that he is alone. So we need one another. We need relationships. And, and one of the things about the Bible is that it never hides its flaws. When it talks about the people and, and the people we would look at as heroes or people of the faith or whatever it happens to be, the Bible never covers up. It never sugarcoats the flaws of the people, and because of that, the Bible is full of bad examples of relationship. Relationships that go bad. Cain and Abel, of course, being that first one where, where Cain doesn't like that Abel's sacrifice is accepted, and so he kills Abel, his brother. Or, or Joseph, his brothers don't like him. He's the favored son of, of Jacob, and they don't like him, and so they throw him in the pit, and they sell him into slavery just because... They don't get along. And then Jacob and Esau, they don't get along. Jacob is usurping and trying to go around and get the birthright. And Esau, of course, doesn't go along with that very good. And so they have conflict. They have all of these things. And those are all brotherly type things. But there's some parenting things. David and Absalom, where Absalom is trying to steal the throne from David. And David, probably, even though he has a lot of good attributes, being a an example of the kind of father you want to be is probably not it. Where he allows Absalom just to do whatever he wants to do, and he, he, he knows that Absalom is trying to take his throne, but he can't discipline Absalom. He can't step in. And so you've got these relationships that are bad. Or, or Noah and Ham, after the flood, 
the relationship that goes awry there. And I won't get into the story, but all kinds of ways in which relationships are bad in Scripture. So what is it that we should do? How, how is it that we should live in light of the fact that it's not good that we should be alone, but we're called to be in relationships? In the New Testament, there is a word, alelon. Look at your neighbor and say alelon. You can see your neighbor in the dim light here. Alelon. And, and it's, it's just one word in Greek, but in, in English it's translated as one another. So every time in the New Testament, or almost every time you see the phrase one another in the New Testament, it comes from this one Greek word, alelon, which means one another. In fact, it is 100 times in 94 New Testament verses. 47 of these verses give instruction to followers of Jesus how they should act. Nearly one-third of all of the uses of one another is about how the church should get along. That when you're in the body of Christ, just because you're in the body of Christ doesn't mean all of your baggage is gone. It doesn't mean all of a sudden you know exactly how to, to get along with everybody. It doesn't mean all of a sudden your emotional intelligence just goes through the roof and you can read the body language and you know all of these things. And so the Bible has to tell us over and over, this is how you need to act. You need to be unified. You need to get together. You need to work together. One-third of these commands about one another's are about love, and it's not necessarily about relationship as far as marriage, love, but it's about loving one another, doing what's best for one another. Some 15% stress humility and deference, among other things, about how we should treat others better than we treat ourselves. So with all of that, Jesus has given us the command. In fact, he is telling us that the second greatest command is to love your neighbor. When asked what the first is, he says, love God. He, they don't ask him what the second is, but he immediately goes in to love your neighbor as yourself. And so I, I want to look at that phrase and this text and how we should apply that to our lives. So the first thing I want to draw your attention to is this, is that loving your neighbor is contingent upon loving God. Loving your neighbor is contingent on loving God. Back in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, the giving of the Ten Commandments, they are in essence in two parts. There's ten of them, but they're in two parts. The first four are primarily related to how you love God. Thou shalt have no other gods before you. Thou shalt not make any graven image. Thou, all of these things, it's about your relationship with God and loving Him and, and how He wants you to interact with Him. And the second set of those is about your neighbor and how you interact with people. Don't be stealing from people. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't covet. And these six are all about relationship with people. The beginning, God has been saying, You need to make sure that you love me, but you also need to love others. It's about being in a relationship with God and being in a relationship with people. In fact, if you don't love your neighbor, the Bible would question whether or not you can actually even love God. John wrote it this way, 1 John 4:20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he, does not love, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hasn't seen? That if you're going to 
If you're going to love God, then you automatically should love people. But you can't say that you love people. Or you can't say that you hate people and you love God. It's one flows from the other. That you have to be in relationship with God to truly love people. John, 1 John 4.19, the preceding verse says that we love Him because He first loved us. That God has shed abroad His love in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And now we can love one another. So what about people that don't know God? How is it that they love? Or maybe before you came to know God, you're like, man, I love people. Well, I would tell you this, that there is the residue of the image of God in all of us. When God created man, he said he created man in his own image. The, the Latin phrase for that is imago Dei, the image of God, that God creates us with with vested pieces of what it is to be God-like. And that means that we know good from evil. We will know good from evil. We have that ability, but we're, we're designed to be in relationship. And so we're designed to care for others. And we have compassion and we have empathy. We have a number of different things that God has put into us. And even the worst sinner still has residue of the imago Dei or the image of God that is in them. And so even if they don't know God, they may can love other people. They may can have some semblance of what it means. But I would tell you ultimately that true love comes from being in relationship with God. And then that is expressed in our relationship to other people. That God comes first. And, and in fact, this commandment to love God that, that is the outflow of all of this. It's really an Old Testament prophecy. It's not a new command. Jesus just quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, when he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It is, it is the original command. It is the basis for everything that God wants us to do. And from that, everything else flows. I would also tell you that loving your neighbor is based on loving ourselves in fact that's what he says love your neighbor as yourself show of hands how many of you love yourself hopefully you do hopefully you do some of us love ourselves more than we should maybe some of us love ourselves too much i've seen those people but he he says Love your neighbor as you love yourself, which means that it's got to be, if you don't love yourself, guess what? Then you don't have to love your neighbor. Right? I'm going to love you just like I love me. I can't stand me. I can't stand you. There may have been some people I couldn't stand, but it's not because I couldn't stand me. But Paul said this in Ephesians he said, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Which means Paul said, nobody has ever really hated themselves. They always want to take care of themselves. They always want to do what is best for themselves. And just as we love ourselves and just as we want to do what's best for us, then we should do what is best for others. And I'm going to get into that in just a moment. But even suicide, which is becoming more and more prevalent in our culture, it's not because people don't love themselves. It's because they have too much physical or mental or emotional pain, and they want to end the pain 
They love themselves enough that they want to get out of the pain. And unfortunately, even during COVID, suicide rates have, begin to, have spiked up as people have been isolated away from being in relationship with people. And they've, they've been isolated and not been able to interact with people like they want to. We are created to be in relationship. And unfortunately, when relationships go bad, people sometimes choose to end their life. But everybody loves themselves. It's just maybe a matter of degrees, but everybody loves themselves. The third thing is this, that loving your neighbor is expanded to include everyone. Look at your neighbor and say, everyone. In in our culture, we, we look at neighbor as the people who live on the street with us. They live next door, they live across the street. People three doors or three streets over, man, those are not our neighbors. But the people right around us, those are our neighbors. That's the way we look at it. But in Jewish culture and in Jewish times, when, when they used the word neighbor, they weren't looking at just people who live next door. They're on the farm next door or just down the street. But the Jews looked at neighbors as people who were part of the covenant. They were Jews who were also part of the covenant. And so when, when, when Jesus uses this word neighbor in, in the particular context he's in, he's telling the people, love your neighbor, which for the Jews, they're hearing, love everybody who's a Jew and everybody who serves God and everybody who's following Yahweh like they're supposed to. It's not just next door, but it's any Jew, regardless of where they live. But Jesus does something different. In the, in the, par- the passage in Luke where it's the same command to love your neighbor somebody wishing to trap jesus says well who is my neighbor they know what the jewish context is they know that in judaism it's fellow jews it's fellow servants of yahweh but they say what is my neighbor or who is my neighbor luke 10 then jesus answered and said a certain man went down from jerusalem to jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, whatever you may spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three, this is Jesus, asked this question, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the man said, he who showed mercy to him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. That it's not enough just to be loving of your family. It's not enough to just love those down the street from you. It's not enough to love those who believe like you believe. It's not enough to to love people who serve the God that you serve. But Jesus said, everybody in essence is your neighbor. See, Samaritans were half Jews. They didn't believe in the full Old Testament. They just had the first five books of the Old Testament. That's all they believed in. 
they worshipped in Samaria. They didn't worship in Jerusalem. And so Jews and Samaritans, they had some racial, ethnic, and religious tension going on. They hated each other. And Jesus, understanding this culture, understanding exactly what the situation is, he changes a typical story, and he puts a Samaritan as the hero of the story. In that particular day, if a, if a priest didn't do what he was supposed to do, and, and if a Levite didn't do what he was supposed to do, then a Pharisee would definitely do what he was supposed to do. In fact, that was a typical story of the day where you would tell a story as an illustration and the priest failed and the Levite failed, but then the Pharisee came along and they did all of that. And Jesus changes the story and he doesn't put a Pharisee in there. He puts somebody that they hate, they can't stand, that they're not even sure they worship the same God. And he says, this guy is the one who was a neighbor. Be like the Samaritan. No doubt that was shocking. Be like somebody we don't like. Be like somebody who doesn't really serve you and follow you and know you. But Jesus says it's not just about those who are like you, but you are to love everybody. In fact, the scriptures tell us that we are to love, of course, our family. I read you a passage, love, husbands love your wives, and parents are supposed to love their children, and the church is supposed to love one another Jesus even has the boldness to say, love your enemies. Who wants to love their enemies? But Jesus demonstrated that, that when we were enemies with God, he loved us. That when we were people that were at odds with him, he loved us. 1 John 3, 14 and 15 talks about, if you don't get along with your brother, once again, I read some others, but we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. That when you can love other people, he says, you have passed from death to life. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That we are to love one another. Look at your neighbor if you've got one close and say, man, I love you. Or woman, I love you. Whatever it happens to be. If it's Members of the opposite sex, and you're not related to them, you probably shouldn't tell them you love them, at least in our culture. Fourthly is this, that loving your neighbor is doing what is best for others. It's easy to love people when they love you. It is easy to love people when they treat you well it's easy to love people when they come and they tell you how awesome you are. Whatever it happens to be, oh man, you're so good. When I grew up, I want to be just like you. Or, man, it's easy to love those people. Even if you know they're lying and they're just flattering you, man. It's like, man, oh, I like these people. That's real easy to do. And in fact, Jesus said even sinners love people who treat them well. That even when you, you're, you're interacting with people that you may not have a lot in common, but if they treat you well and they love you, it's easy to love them. But it's not so easy to love people whenever they're not doing what they're supposed to do. But when we, the Bible says, when we were enemies with God, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son much more 
having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. That we were actually enemies of God and He saved us. He brought us into relationship with Him. That Jesus Christ went to the cross when we were still sinners. So when people wrong us, when people are at odds with us, that we are still to love them, we're to treat them and do for them what is best in every situation. But what about when people do evil? What about when people, they they may not just treat us right or treat us the best, but they're actually doing evil, moral wrong, or you still love them. That doesn't mean you tell them that everything's okay. That doesn't mean you condone what it is that they're doing, but you still love them. You still do what is best. What is best, though, may not always be pleasant. What is best is is not always the easy thing. And what is best is frequently not letting people do what they want to do. Sometimes what is best means, no, you can't do that. I'm not just going to let you go on your way and and do what is harmful to you. It's got to be not about what's best for me, but when you love people, it's about what is best for them. Paul addressed this in 1 Corinthians. He addressed this, this idea, shall we say, of tough love. Anybody ever heard of tough love? And we need to demonstrate tough love, but unfortunately, sometimes people use tough love when it's what's best for them. I'm going to show you some tough love because I don't like it. That's not the way. Tough love is about what is best for others. So the scenario, and I won't go into detail, of of gross immorality that's taking place in Corinth. And, And what Paul says is this. He says, turn this person over to Satan for a season. Don't fellowship with them. Kick them out of the church. Not because you want to harm them. Not because you want to do something bad to them. He says, but turn them over to Satan for a season that they might repent and come back to God. That if you just allow people to go on their way and do what it is that they want to do, and you still, you know, you kind of, oh, it's going to be okay. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. Guess what? They're going to continue in their sin. They're going to continue in the things that are harmful to them. But sometimes it's like, no, if you're, if you're doing drugs or you're doing this or that and the other, you can't live here. It's not because I hate you. It's not because I, I but I want you to realize that what you're doing is wrong and it, you need to stop. You stop, you can come back in, you can be part of the family. Whatever it may be, but it's still about loving your neighbor. It's still about loving others. It's about doing what is best for others that is what we are called to do when jesus says love your neighbor that means everybody but he has called us not just to to love in in a sense where we do whatever we want to do it's not a i love you as long as you love me but he has called us to be in healthy relationships and the specific value that is listed on our website that we are trying to be as a church is that we need healthy family and personal relationships. That can only be done if we love people. And that can only be done if we do what is best for people. Hosea, prophet, it's one of the more intriguing stories 
in the Old Testament, and there are many. These musicians come. Hosea is a prophet of God, and God wanting to do an object lesson, in essence, with Israel. He says to Hosea, he says, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. It's a little odd. And you've got to understand, this is, this is not Las Vegas, this is not Sin City, this is Israel. Everybody serves God, everybody knows God, and everybody has pushed people like Gomer, they have pushed her to the side, they are an outcast. And he says, I want you to go and marry Gomer, this prostitute. So Hosea doesn't. He goes and marries Gomer and they, they, they live together in marriage. They have children. But like most sin, it's still there's this pull of sin. And, and, and I can't explain any of this. That, but Gomer, after a number of years and after a number of children is pulled back to that lifestyle of prostitution. And so she leaves Hosea. She goes back to that sinful, immoral lifestyle. And and you would think that what you should do is, if that's what she wants to do, she's going to be that disloyal if she's going to do all of these, just let her go. After a period of time, God speaks to Hosea again and says, go and buy her back. So Hosea goes and Gomer, she's up on an auction block. She has become property. Her owners are selling her and Hosea, he buys her back takes her back into his house and loves her. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not sure I could do that. Maybe Hosea wasn't sure either and he had a direct word from God and maybe in a situation like that if I had a direct word from God that I could do that. But I think that story is it's illustrative of two different things. One, it's primary purpose is this, is to show how much God loves us, and that just like Hosea and Gomer, God has brought us out of sin, and He brings us into relationship with Himself. In fact, it's really indicative of the nation of Israel. He he saved Israel, and He brought Israel out of Egypt, and over and over they would turn their back on Him, and He would save them and bring them back into relationship, and He would love them, and, and they would live in relationship with him for a while and then they would be drawn back to paganism and idolatry. They would go their way. But God, not content with just letting them go, as well, I'll get me a new people, I'll get another people. No, God would go back in and he would bring them back into relationship with him. That's really the moral of the story. That's really the point is that God is showing what he did in Israel 
that second thing I think is what he, he does with us as individuals as well, that he, he brings us into relationship with him. He saves us. A lot of times people will walk with God for a period of time and circumstances or life or trouble, whatever. Just the pull of the world. They'll walk away. They'll go and do their own thing. They'll go back to the things they were doing when God found them. But He doesn't. He doesn't leave them there. He continues to call them and He continues to draw them and say, I want you to be in relationship with me. I think a third application of that story is this, is that we are to be like Hosea. Yeah, you did me wrong. You abandoned me. But I'm still going to do what's best. I'm going to go find you and I'm going to bring you back into relationship. I'm going to rectify the relationship. We are to love others as we love ourselves. We're to do what's best for them and it's all hinged on the fact that God has loved us and that we can shed abroad His love by the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Would you stand together? I would say this, that, that the greatest way we can show, show love to most people is to share the gospel with them so they, they can spend eternity with Jesus Christ. For good or bad, I have a way of bringing every message to evangelism and discipleship. I think God's probably okay with that because that's why he came in the form of Jesus Christ was to seek and to save the lost. That is our mission. It is what we're supposed to do. But for most people, you may not have this deep relationship with them and they, they may not need your charity in the sense of giving them things. They, but all the people that you come in contact need the Jesus that you know. That everybody needs to know Jesus Christ. Everybody needs to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And the greatest way we can show love to them is to tell them about Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front for reasons that we've already discussed today. But right where you are, would you, would you lift your hands and would you just ask God to help you love others? Would you ask God to help you to, to be the person that He's called you to be so that you can minister to others through love? That, that even when they do something wrong, that we'll do what's best for them. We'll forgive. We'll bring relationship and we'll bring wholeness back to the relationship. And that people who don't know you that will be bold enough to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Jesus, we love you. God, we want to be in relationship with you and we want to be in right relationship with all those around us. Yes, Lord, we want to be everything you've called us to be. Yes, God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for what you've done in us. Thank you, Lord, that others 
have loved us and help us to reciprocate your love and their love to those around us, Jesus. God, we love you, Jesus. loved us. So Lord, we love you because you enable us to do that, because you demonstrated your own love to us. That while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Lord, I pray that you help us to be those ministers of reconciliation that just like what you did for us, we can do for others. Well, we love people regardless of how they treat us. We love them regardless of what they may do that's wrong. We reach out to them 
first of all, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, letting them know that you love them. And we want them to see your love in us. So I've got four things that I would ask you to do. First two are questions. Ask yourself how you can love others better. And what can I do to, to show others that I love them and do what's best for them? That's the second thing. Ask yourself what is best for others in whatever situation you're in. Yeah, they said this about me or they mistreated me on the job, but what's best for others? Thirdly, number three and four, their action but demonstrate God's love in every relationship at every opportunity. At every opportunity, show the love of Jesus Christ to those you're in contact with. And then lastly, share the gospel with everybody you meet. Let them know that Jesus loves them. And it's not even a stretch to let them know, you know what? I want what's best for you, so I'm going to tell you about Jesus, the one whom I serve. Let them know that you love them as well as a tangible expression of God's love to them through you. But share the gospel with every person you have opportunity to be with. Father, we thank you for what you have done in us we thank you Lord that you love us we thank you Lord that you have called us to be on mission for you God that we're not just isolated but you have brought us into relationships with, with people to demonstrate your love to them to demonstrate the gospel to them I pray Lord that you help us to be salt and light in the world that others would see you in us that they would want to know you because we treat them well because we treat them with an attitude and acts of love and we do what is best for them. Lord, even when sometimes it's hard, help us to do what is best. Not out of revenge or not out of retribution, but to do what is best for others at all times. Be at work in us, I pray. Give us boldness and passion and love for others so that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. And Lord, I thank you for who you are and for your presence in this place today. I thank you for your word and for your spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to meet with us. And I pray, Lord, that you would keep your hand of protection upon all of those who are here today. Lord, I pray that you would be with their families. I pray that you would minister to them. Keep all of the pestilence that is COVID away. Keep your hand upon those, Lord, not able to be here today for various reasons, whether it's sickness or other things. Be with them. Draw them close to you. We thank you, Lord, and we give you praise. And everybody said amen.